Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And Peyton Jones. Coming to you for a live podcast? You and I are live. Well, we're sitting in the same room. I can look deep into your brown eyes. It's very uncomfortable. It's foreboding. We you did sh- this once before. We did. It was very romantic. Yeah, I didn't like it then either. Yeah, no. It's so awkward. Don't look at me. I got to tell you, I was look, talking with uh, one of our church... Can we look opposite ones. ways, though, when we do this? Can you not look at me? I just look at my feet. Okay, works. So I was talking to this uh, church planner, Jimbo on um, Sunday. So Jimbo Balaam came to our church, which was Easter. And that kind of surprised me because Jimbo hasn't been at our church in like six months. So which, by the way, when he was leaving, he goes, all right, I'll see you guys another six months. Hey, rats always jump the sink and shit, man. That's all I'm saying. So, um, so he and I were talking and he goes, yeah, I can't believe some of the things that you guys say on the podcast. (laughs) I go like what? And he goes, well, like when you go, when you first start out and you go, I'm Pete Mitchell and I'm unclean until this evening. <laughs> yeah, I was happy. I was proud. I wanted to share it around. I want everyone to know. I was talking with a guy, uh, to, well, uh, earlier this week. I'll give him a shout out. His name's Alan Briggs. He's in Colorado. And which, by the way, Jimbo is how uh, Bill found out about the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, because Jimbo's like... Yeah, I cannot believe some of the things Pete and Peyton say. Oh, no. And then that's why Bill... So he is the rat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a rat amongst us. Bill, right. Bill is the sending pastor of Refuge Long Beach. And um, and and we, we've been worried about him listening to our, the podcast. Yeah, he's kind of like my dad. So he tells me off when I need it. But, uh, yeah. He probably hasn't told me off yet. Every time I meet him, though, I'm like... Hey, I'm Pete Mitchell. He goes, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I actually had a twang of conscience that I had told Jimbo on the last podcast that uh, Darth Vader was Luke's father. I know. And I told him, I said, by the way, you got to listen to Monday's podcast because we talked about you. I, now I don't feel bad. Yeah. Hey, so I was talking to uh, Alan Briggs from FrontlineChurchPlanning.com, and uh, he had sent me something. He said, hey... Did you see this declaimer on iTunes about Church Planner Mag? Infrequent mild horror fear themes. <laughs> Infrequent, let me say that again. Infrequent mild horror fear themes. Infrequent mild alcohol, tobacco, or drug use or references. Doesn't sound like you, Pete. I'm just saying that's kind of accurate. Infrequent mild sexual content and nudity. We are always naked when we're doing the podcast. But this is talking about the magazine. Have we had naked pictures in the magazine yet? Oh, yeah, it is the mag, huh? No, but we talked about sex trafficking. So I guess when the word sex pops up, even if it's kind of <laughs> like... You, do you remember the twerking article? <laughs> 
Okay. People don't understand this. All right. If you haven't yet subscribed to Church Planner Magazine, you're missing out like you can't believe. All right. So I wrote an article. This is like the third issue in or something like that. And I wrote an article called Twerking Your Business or Twerking Your Church Plan or something like that. And it's it's about the topic of twerking and, and how someone used that to get a lot of publicity and stuff like that. If you don't know what twerking is, I don't know how to describe it, and I'm not really going to attempt to describe it. And I would be careful if you Google it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So our uh, our VA, our VA, you got to understand the guy who does our graphics. He's our full time guy. All he does is graphics for. I, I do three magazines: Church Planner Magazine, uh, MMA Main Event, and another magazine called I Love Selling. And that's that's all he does for us is graphics. And he knocks it out of the park on uh, the MMA magazine almost every time right from the beginning. But Church Planner, there's a bit of a language difference because mm-hmm. he's in the Philippines. And though they do speak English there because uh, typically everything they're taught in school is in English, it's still not like like I have difficulty communicating with him at times. So he has to read the articles to figure out what kind of pictures to get. <laughs> So, this is like third issue in, and he sends us the twerking oh my God. article, and it's like these chicks <laughs> everywhere. It's like these big butts in your face, the entire article, and Pete's like, oh my god. I had to call Peyton, because Peyton was still a little bit unsure about me at that point. <laughs> and I'm like, look, I'm going to have him change it. Don't freak out when you see the article. But it was it was bad. We well, can't show awesome. that to anybody. I hope we have that somewhere. I I pretty sure I kept it. <laughs> I know it's seared in my head. Didn't we say it would like remain a national treasure of like Church Planner magazine? One of those those untold articles that we never let out of the vault. Well, well here's here's that's right. We're like the Disney vault. You know they have like Walt Disney's like frozen head in cryogenic chambers. You know nice. that? No. Yeah, yeah. His head's frozen, and everyone saw they put on like a spider robot body, and he wreaks havoc on the city. You know that? No, I didn't know that. I still don't believe it, actually. That's from, I saw it on Robot Chicken. (laughs) He was feeding off of Mexican children. It had to be Mexican children. It was true. You had to go racist, didn't you? I didn't make it. I'm only reporting what I saw. Nice. And my daughter's part Mexican. So you can get away with it. I can report on Robot Chicken for sure. Did you ever see the, uh, did you ever watch Seinfeld? Did you watch that show? Oh, yeah. Did you ever see the episode where uh, the dentist converts to Judaism and he starts... No, no, he was a comedian. That's what it was. He was a comedian and he converted to Judaism because of the jokes. Like, he wanted to be able to say the jokes and go, it's okay, I'm Jewish. <laughs> Do you remember that? Exactly. That's why I adopted a Mexican, Filipino, black, white mix. I can make fun of everyone except the Native American. Oh, wait, I am part Native American. Oh, there you I'm go. in. I told you I'm Native American. My tribe sued the government because a white man stole our land, and you the settlement. Are a white man. This I know. I'm as about as white as I come. The settlement though went down as far as my degree. My cousins who were born got it. I wasn't born yet. I was a couple years after. Dang. Pete is like the whitest dude. Pete is like like the poster child for Irishness. Yeah. He's got red hair, blue eyes. Is it blue eyes? Yeah, blue or green, depending yeah. on what I'm wearing. I've been looking. Look deep into mine. I have been. I couldn't tell. It kind of mesmerized me a bit. So, okay, so we're talking about, um, on that note, right, we're talking about um, the top seven issues church planners face. By, by the way, Joey Roper said, no more 23-minute intros like the last episode. 20, we're cutting straight to the chase. Apparently, one of the issues that church planners face is homosexuality. Huh? <laughs> hey, you're the one talking about staring deeply in your eyes. I'm just saying I'm very uncomfortable, and I'm even more so now. My wife's in the other room. Don't you forget that. Well, put some clothes on, for Pete's sake. It's still a naked podcast. Is this podcast. going too far? Is this going too far? I don't know. Is, do you think Bill will listen to it? No, he's in Europe. Oh, and he doesn't... And then he's in Israel. He doesn't listen to any of the back, two the back episodes? Yes. He doesn't know what he's missing. No. But, oh, wait, the internet reaches all around the world at the same time. I think it's worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> forgot we're not on radio. Not yet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're getting a radio show. Did we talk about that? I think we alluded to it. Yeah. Except here's the thing. We have to do a, a new segment. So what we'll probably do is like two podcasts a week. One will be for the radio show, which is, and we'll share it with the podcast people. 
But it's got to be, what would you say, it's three eight-minute segments, because yeah. that's how they break it up with the commercials. Yeah. So, I don't know if we're going to be able to do... <clears throat> Thanks, appreciate it. Sorry that. I couldn't mute that, man. I don't know if we're going to be able to do as much fun stuff as we normally do. That's all I'm saying. I think it's kind of like speaking. When you preach somewhere, you go like you never want to be invited back. And you preach whatever the Spirit gives you. The Spirit comes in power. Then boom. So, same with the radio show. So I can talk about being unclean? Absolutely. All right. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy yeah, 23, 10 of 11. Yeah, baby. Put it on my tombstone. So, okay, so uh, what are we going to talk about? We had some good stuff to talk about today. You threatened to talk about a few things on the podcast. I don't even know what I threatened to talk about. Yeah. I threatened to talk about a lot of stuff, and you usually pull it. Yeah, you're like, oh, oh, that's so good. Like, So Pete and I are sitting on the island, so he's like, oh, that's so good, that's so good. I'll save it for the podcast. And then I always say to him, well, tell me what it is. And he goes, no, I'll save it. And then he forgets it. I don't, well, I remember I wanted to tell you the Jimbo story because I thought the Jimbo story was funny. I will say this, though. I've been interviewing church planners for the uh, program that I, you know, mentioned on the podcast a few weeks back that I needed yeah. to team up with a church planner. And it's so funny because when I talk to them, I'm almost more interested in hearing about what they're doing as a church planner. <laughs> It's like we, we waste the first half hour talking about what they're doing, and then, oh, okay, by the way, here's the project, you know, does this interest you? And so far, everyone's like, yeah, I love it. But um, but I love hearing about that. Like, I talked to Joey Roper's right-hand guy in Germany. He sits at Joey Roper's right hand? It's his right hand. That's awesome. What Did you know in Germany, well, you maybe you did, because you're in the UK, and, you know, that's to us Americans, that's the same thing as Germany. <laughs> yeah, they've kind of been on, like, two opposite sides of the field. No, no. So... This is what they do in Germany. If you have a kid, you get to take three years off from work, and your employer has to keep your job open so you can go back to it. And the first year, the government pays you 65% of your salary. Holy cow. Is that not... I mean, it's kind of cool. Well, in Britain, you, you get that for your uh, time on leave. I think it's like second, third trimester. Yeah, so it's a year. Then your first six months of the... Uh, and the dad gets paternal leave. I think up to two months. They can split theirs. So he split his with his wife. She got six months. He got six months. But somehow, like, when you split it, you get an extra two months out of it. Man, church planners, you need to go over to Germany and have babies. <laughs> If you're worried about support, man, Germany has you probably got to be a citizen or something. It's probably a requirement. Yeah, probably. But yeah, there's always a hitch somewhere. Yeah. Okay, well, hey, we're talking about the uh, seven issues that church planners face as identified by Edward Stetzer. And today we're talking about number six, which is evangelism and discipleship. So, uh, Ed identifies the problem as being too many planners think that the reason lost people have not come to Christ... Oh, wait. Hey, hold on a second. That was pretty early. I think we're letting the side no, go. We're, we're in 11 minutes. We're good. So Okay. I just I just didn't want to give Joey Roper... We're almost at 12 minutes. I did not want to make Joey Roper think he could just call up and threaten us. You know, like 23 minutes. Oh, and I will say this. We did get another call from uh, on the, the message line, but I, I don't... Since we're live today, I can't pipe it in. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Joey Roper, we do not negotiate with terrorists. Just so you know. You can threaten us all you want about 23 minutes, but it's our show. All right. Now, get, actually, get okay, on okay. the job. All right, all right. So, too many planners think that the reason people have not come to Christ is because they have not found the right church yet. Thus, a mythological equation is formed. Lost culture plus relevant church planning service equals instant harvest. So, the church planner sincerely sets out with a new formula that will fill the local middle school gymnasium or movie theater with lost people. They have a vision of lost people streaming unmasked through the doors on launch Sunday shouting, Finally, I found it! No wonder that planner will spend the majority of the week getting the production ready. The band slides, movie clips, coffee and donuts are all part of an environment that helps people feel at home. But at the end of the day... The demanding grind of an attractive church can potentially take away the pursuit of those far from God. Simply put, when you have an attractive plant, it can end up solely with an attractional strategy. The end result will be that you sell a new and better church or product 
to consumers of religious goods and services. However, it does not bring the lost. I thought that was a dynamite um, thing because many planners do think that, you know, kind of like field of dreams mentality, if you build it, they will come. And there's nothing further than the truth. I love the way that he's saying, like, uh, they imagine lost people will just come through the door and say, they found it. Like, back when we were in Wales, you know, they used to always say that uh, nobody was sitting down in the pub going, hey, you know, over their pint of beer, did you know down the street they've got a new worship leader? They're singing modern songs that sound like, you know, uh, the, the Stray Cats and the Who and, oh, I know, tell me about it. They, 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 nobody's thinking like that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, to me, as I look at this, this is quite literally the exact same problem that business owners have when it comes to uh, marketing and promoting their business. And what I mean by that is, and, and this might be hard for some people to follow who haven't been in business, but everyone in business believes that they need to have these really nice looking brochures, um, a really beautiful website. And if people just saw how cool they were, how good they were, that people were going to flock to them. Yeah. In fact, um, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Uh, Joey Turner, who we've had on the uh, podcast, um, he runs Brood out in Texas. He put a Facebook comment about uh, Shark Tank. And, you know, his point, uh, and I'm doing a bad summary of his point, was, you know, um, the sharks are just interested in making money. They should be interested in making sure that they've got the best product. And, you know, that's what's going to bring the people. And I actually wrote a comment and then I erased it and I went back and I still wrote something else, but I wrote something a little bit softer because I was like, that's actually 100% not true. In business, like I was a great and still am a great financial planner. I'm really good at that. But no one comes to me because I'm really good at it. No one comes to me because I've got, and I do, I've got really great looking brochures. They're all shiny. They look pretty. People come to you because, for lack of a better term, you're scratching an itch that they got. Yeah. So we kind of talked about it, I think, last week on the podcast. You have to enter the conversation that's already going on in their mind. Amen. You, 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 like when you're doing marketing, you have to give them bait that they will bite on. That they will say, this is exactly what I need. And um, and business owners, they don't do it either, right? Because business owners believe, well, i got to have the pretty website. i got to have this, that, and that. And the, the bottom line is, that's actually not going to win you clients. And it's the same thing with the church. It doesn't, I mean, when people are like, oh, i got to have this music or, or you know, um, a better looking building. Or, you know, we want to have a coffee house at our, our church too. And that's going to bring in the lost. Yeah. That's I mean, that might get you more Christians because they're like, oh, this cool, this church has got more, um, you know, amenities, if you will. But if you're trying to reach the lost, lost then you got to scratch that itch that they got. you got to enter the conversation that's going on in their mind. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because when you're talking about this, um, the, the best, what people don't realize is marketing in the old days happened by word of mouth. Right. Um, there was newspapers, newspapers, you know, we could have something at a church and newspaper and people say, oh, we'll go check that out. But even before that, the best advertising was word of mouth. So if your friend comes to you and says, hey, you know what? I've been trying this product. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, I don't care if you get an email. I don't care if you get a solicited phone call. If your friend gives product endorsement, that's going to really get your attention. It's the same with the gospel. God has relied on product endorsement for the last 2,000 years, time-tested, uh, you know, full satisfaction guarantee. Um, people have come and said, hey, he changed my life. That's product endorsement, right? So Starbucks kind of picked up that way. They now do advertise on TV, particularly with their instant coffee like Via. But in the beginning, they said, if we have a product that's super good, people will tell each other word of mouth. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, I got to stop you right there. Yeah. You're absolutely dead on. Yeah. The second most powerful uh, tool that we have in marketing is testimonials. And that's essentially what you're saying. That is, yeah. Interestingly enough, you want to know what the number one most powerful um, thing that you can have in marketing? What? Your own book. Really? If you become the author of your own book. And I was just thinking, 
Huh. And God kind of did that. He was and, like, and he's got the bestseller. Absolutely. So he does. He's, number one bestseller. He's got the number one bestseller. So, some people think, wow, that's loud when I do that. That's oh. my cop. It's off. Oh, it and, is. Okay. And so, you know, anyways, uh, Ikea is the number one distributed book in all the world, the Ikea catalog, but not the bestseller. So some people are like, oh, Ikea bypassed. No, it did not. I never Bible even heard that. Still, no, it's it's really? the most distributed book in the Bible now because it's free. It's free catalog. IKEA is everywhere, right? The Swedish mafia, man, they're taking over. But the uh, the reality is, the Bible's number one bestseller. But going back to this, right? I'm going to tell you something. When you see a church that becomes viral, um, in other words, you know they're the church plant that takes off. I will promise you two things have happened. Number one, they've been praying, and number two, people getting saved. They've been evangelizing. Because Christians that have been saved for a number of years suck at evangelism. Oh, yeah. Just telling you, they suck. Because what happens is they get into a pattern of just sitting in church week after week, week watching the show, and they're kind of ruined for it. If you want to know the best evangelists, um, it's like the person that first turns on to Herbalife, right? <laughs> they turn on, like, Herbalife is like the best thing. Herbalife will wash their car. Herbalife will manicure their feet. Herbalife will improve their diet. Herbalife clears their complexion. Herbalife is everything. And when you get a brand new Christian, Jesus is everything to them. So what do they do? New Christians make new Christians. New Christians are the best evangelists on the planet. I was saved less than two weeks. I was actually saved... 48 hours when I led my first soul to Christ. Hmm. But I led my first friend to Christ when I was less than two weeks old in the gospel. And I knew nothing, but I was so excited about meeting Jesus. That there was it. I, I, you just could not stop me telling other people about Jesus. So when you see a church that's a brand new church plant, here's what's happened. It's been product endorsement. It's been word of mouth. But make no mistake, that church has not just sucked Christians out of the environment, dissatisfied Christians from other churches. There are two people that do not make converts. Dissatisfied Christians from other churches that come to your church and liberals. Neither one of those ever make converts, period. Sorry, I hit the... I could play like a jug band. Sorry. So you have to go further with it. Oh, yeah, I got to hit it again. Hey, what happens? Hey, look what happens when I do this. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Another thing that Jimbo said when we were talking on Sunday is he goes... Like, he goes back to our sending church now. So he was with the church plant for a year, two years, whatever it was. Welcome home, Jimbo. Yeah. Welcome home. And then he, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't. Oh, the reason why he was at our church on Sunday. Don't, don't ruin it for they him. They went to breakfast in the morning and it was too late. And he's like, oh, we can't make it to the nine o'clock service. We'll go to. Might as well go to Refuge. We'll go to Refuge Long Beach. Oh, man, we love Jimbo. So, was a bomb. so, um. He was saying, though, he met with uh, our, our sending pastor and he goes, this is totally the type of church. This is my kind of church, meaning yeah. our sending church. Yeah, it's my music, it's my environment. And he goes, but I'm ruined by being a part of a church plant. And he goes, <laughs> I'm like looking around here, twiddling my thumbs, looking up at the sky when you know they're preaching. He's like, it's just, it's not the same. Yeah, church plant will ruin you. You know now when I travel. I'll like put out on Facebook, hey, who's got a church plant over and wherever I'm going? Because yeah. I'm like, I don't want to go to a regular church. I'm gonna. See what everyone's up to. Because you get addicted to the fact that when you're in a church plant and you have been evangelizing, you're literally there for the lost. You know, like you walk into Refuge Long Beach, you know every Sunday there are lost people here today that are hearing the gospel for the first time. Yeah. And it just, it adds an excitement to what you're doing. And we're not like, you know, massive or anything. I think we're less than 100 people. But we're constantly seeing people get saved. See, I look around and I honestly, I wonder when I look at people, I'm like, are they here because they're Christians and they're looking for a church? Or are they part of the community? Because, I mean, some of the community must be Christian because they're coming to the church. And I'm like, and I'm I'm trying to feel them out. Like, I'm trying to, because I'm really curious. Like, yeah. I'm just really curious. Are people who are saved, when they come across our church, what do they think? Oh, yeah. Like, I know what the white people think. <laughs> Because we hear about that all the time, the transplants from Orange County. But I'm talking about the local people that are part of that community. Well, it, it, you know, and as people come in, they're, you know, uh, let's put it this way. Most people come in and go, oh, man, this is awesome. This is the church I've been looking for. There is a vibe and there is a feel. Um, first off, grace just floods the entire place. You get the sense that I always tell people when I'm planting, I'm like, this is the church that Jesus would plant. Because when you read like where it says he's a friend of sinners, tax collectors, drunks, prostitutes, 
I'm like, this is our church, right? So it's it's the church that Jesus would go to, right? But um, but when you're when you're talking about evangelism, um, one of the things that always bothered me was why was all the evangelism done in the week? Why is it? And I remember racking my brain hmm. when we started the church, I, or when I started church plan, it started out of a Starbucks in Europe. You all know the story. Um, but it was literally for the first time, it was to me the, the closest thing that I had read about in the book of Acts, where it was church in a public space, right? It wasn't in a back room somewhere. It wasn't in somebody's home. I know there's a huge, you know, the missional movement. I, I agree with the missional movement. I agree largely with what the missional movement is, is saying. But the common thing in the book of Acts is church in public space, not church in your living room. And so it says, you know, they met... When you say public space, what do you mean by public space? Public space, I mean something like um, the temple courts, where it says they met in the temple courts and house to house. So there was a blend. So we meet in house to house, but we also, we call it temple courts or public space. Yeah, but wasn't that partially cultural? Because, like, for them going to the temple and the synagogue, and, I mean, that was just a part of the culture. Well, yeah, like, here's an experiment. You want to do something evangelistic, go into a coffee shop every week on a Tuesday night. And hold a discussion group. Don't even make it like, you know, go talk to them. Just five people, six people, and have a discussion group. What you'll find is if you do that every Tuesday or every Wednesday or whatever night of the week it is, and you talk about things and you laugh and you have a good time and you talk about Jesus, other people are going to overhear you and make comments and feed into your group and be friendly and and you're just going to keep widening the circle. So you don't even need to make it a church service. So what we did is we did this reading group. 30 people turn up. It just grew week after week. It grew up to 50 people before we said, you know, we need, we need to like move to a Sunday. But the one thing I was not willing to do was to lose what was making it work. And what was making it work was it was already evangelistic. So why would I strip everything that made it evangelistic out of it to put it on a Sunday morning and just have a church service? I wasn't willing to do that, but I said, look, guys, the one thing that we can't get here is worship. So I'm moving this to a Sunday. And so even now, if you come to Refuge Long Beach, it's a lot like what you would find in a public space, um, Temple Courts, Marketplace, the Mars Hill, whatever, you know, whatever you want to read about in the book of Acts, where Paul worships down by the river in Philippi with the women that worship by the river. It's all public space. That's, that's my key. So when people are like, oh, we do it out of the homes. I think that's awesome. I don't have any problem with that. And I'm never one to knock how different people are doing it. Steve Timmis, Crowded House, um, Soma Communities, big, big respect for those guys and love what they're doing and the way they do it. But both of those groups have realized that if we only do house to house, we're actually missing a huge kind of arrow in our quiver that we can use to to give a more rounded gospel attack, a full frontal attack um, for the kingdom of God. And so you want to use every arrow in the quiver, not just some of them. So going back to it, you know, one of the things that that I would say is that, say like the missional movement, one of the weaknesses of the missional movement um, is that it can become, your your living room can become a backwater um, where you're, now you've got the coolest thing, like you were saying earlier, you've got the coolest product on the planet. Wow, we're in the living room and we eat meals together and everybody communicates and everybody uses their gifts and everybody talks, but no one knows we're there. Mm. So... You know, how, you know, any church, any church plant, you, you identify exactly the problem. How do I get people to know that I'm there? So what I do is I take us out in the public space. So even though we do open our church now, we're out in the community, we're so loud that we get complaints sometimes. Um, you can see us from the street. Granted, we're on school property, but we're out in the in the public area where the pic- picnic benches are. Um, and we purposefully stay public. We don't want to go inside. We don't want to close off from people. But um, we still feel even there that even though that's a step above, that's still too insular. So we do a barbecue once a month in uh, Bixby Park. When we first How did the barbecue actually happen? How did it come about? That was great. Well, you mean like the barbecue or how we started doing open air church? No, no. I mean like the guy who's running that, Steve. Well, Steve... Was it something that he felt, hey, this is what we should do, and he just... Yeah. 
Well, it, it came out. I, I was going to say, let me let me go back real quick and make this one point. Um, traditional churches, right? Everybody kind of uh, says, oh, no one's coming to them and they're attractional and this and that. Missional communities are facing the same thing. Here, here's the missing ingredient. If you don't have evangelism hardwired into what you're doing, um, and I don't agree when people say, oh, you know, if Christians simply love Jesus enough, they'll evangelize. Um, that's not true. Uh, it, it, it's not actually love for Jesus that's the basis for it. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecost comes. They love Jesus fine in Acts chapter 1, but they didn't receive this power from on high. Well, the reason they received power from on high was they were dedicated to going out evangelizing. Jesus said, go into all the world, but wait. So the reality is what they needed, more than love for Jesus, that, that doesn't make you an evangelist. I can love Jesus and never go out for him. What makes you a witness for Jesus is being committed to mission, being committed to going on mission. Then the power of the Holy Spirit comes to you there. And that, to me, is what nobody's really talking about. So when, when you go back to it, so what happened was we were kind of saying, you know what? We left Bixby Park, and there was work unfinished, work undone. And we all had a sense that we were in the right place. We're in a new neighborhood, two and a half blocks away. But we felt, gosh, you know, we... Our work wasn't done in Bixby, so we need to still be a presence there. And we promised the people with us that we were going to continue to be a prom- uh, presence there. And in fact, we will in future go and launch back into Bixby. So that's in the works. But the, the reality is that um, we said, well, let's do a, a, an outreach, maybe barbecue. It was just somebody had the idea. And so we were in our COGS, which we call Community of Grace, Missional Communities, Home Fellowships, whatever you want to call them. And... Um, you know, and, and again, going back to the missional community idea, many missional communities are not missional at all. There's no evangelism. We can talk about that in a second, how you do missional cogs. But um, what happened was uh, we were talking about it, and I talked freely with uh, everybody in the church. There's not very much a secret. Um, I'm pretty open. And this guy, Steve, he's real quiet, uh, just kind of came to the surface and said, well, you know, um, Peyton, I, I, I could, I could just, you know, barbecue some food for you if you wanted, if you did something in the park. And I said, really? Because that's like a huge burden off me. And our breakfast people are taxed, so we serve breakfast every morning. And here was this guy. He had this. He had never done this for a church before. In fact, he had never done a, a full scale barbecue before. And when you go on Sunday morning. It looks like the dude does it professionally for a business. Hmm. I mean, we feed hundreds of people once a month, every Sunday. And every single time there is somebody who comes through that barbecue into the church, right? And some people, oh, well, that's not the point. Well, fine. You do whatever you want with them. You know, it's kind of like Moody said, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't, right? For us, that's what's working. That's how the Lord has led us. And we've seen relationships, gospel conversations started just through throwing barbecues. And I would say whenever you're doing evangelism, always have food, period. Never, ever, ever do anything in evangelism that does not somehow, some way involve food. And make sure it's good food. Good food, yeah. I like that. I dig it. Yeah, man. So that's, that's how Steve came about. Yeah, I was just curious how it actually started because... From, you know, my outsider's perspective, like, this is probably strange for people because they hear you and I and they hear all the stuff that we're doing. And I'm not on leadership at Refuge Long Beach. I'm I'm a schmuck that goes to the church. I'm just some schmo. And so, like, I look at it from an outsider perspective and I look at everything the church is doing. And I was just always curious about that. I'm like, you know what? I bet you Steve was like, oh, I just want to do this. Let's do it. Yeah, and, you know, his wife was kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know, like, that's a big thing. And Steve's just real calm. He's super quiet, guys. He's a total introvert. And without him, I have to say, he's kind of like a linchpin. That saying that big doors turn on little hinges is true, Steve, because he's like this little dude that just says, I can cook. I can barbecue, man. I'll do that. So he's got, like, all this equipment out there, and people are like, free food? Oh, man, I remember you guys last month. We have the best conversations when we do it. In Hmm. fact, it killed me last time that I could not make it. And I was just like, man, I so want to be there because it is like, I don't don't know how to, when you got, when you are feeding people, you have the right to be heard. I don't know how to put it other than, 
it opens the door and people listen. You're feeding them. And not right. only are you feeding them, you're giving them it. It's like, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to marketing stuff in some ways, but um, really, truth be told, I mean, in, in marketing, but now they have like, you know, product evangelist, you know, they actually use our terms, right? But the reality is to come back to marketing, it's like timeshares, right? What does a timeshare do? Hey, man, we'll give you tickets to Disneyland. Come yep. to the seminar for four. They've bought the right to be heard. My entire financial planning business was based off of that model. Because yeah. we ran seminars. And how do we get into the seminar? We're buying you dinner. Dude, I'm telling you, there's just something about it's it's why in the New Testament that the Bible says if you're going to be an elder you must be given to hospitality and a lot of people don't realize that's not talking about having a home Bible study at your house that's talking about inviting unchurched non-believers into your home that is a gospel inroads you must be the kind of person that can throw your wide's arms wide open to the community and say hey guys uh, my life is open my home is open and you know, I got all the time in the world for you. That's how Jesus was. That's what evangelism is. You know, interestingly enough, I'll just share this as a, a side note before we move on to the next evangelical tool or whatever. Um, the seminar, when I did seminars, we'd send out postcards and invite them all to a dinner. Usually we did it at Mimi's Cafe or something like that. And so if we had 30 sign up, we knew 20 were going to show up. So this one time, we decided to do it at uh, a steakhouse in Long Beach called the 555 Steakhouse. Really high-end, the place to go. We had, uh, it was over three days, and we had 55 people sh uh, sign up for each um, dinner. And all 55 people each three days showed up. Like, we, it was so packed. We were into the other parts of the, the restaurant, and like, they were trying to open the door so they could hear what I was saying. So the better the food, the more yeah. people will show up is all I'm saying. I'm telling you, our barbecues are not to be missed. We do them very, very well. And you mentioned Joey Turner. And so there he is a brood. That's, you know, it's kind of where he's coming from is I'm going to be the best in my community. Yeah. So I get a name and I'm going to do whatever I do under the glory of God. And he's really. He's still going to market it though, Joey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he has. I mean, he's been covering oh, all the totally. news and stuff, you know, because he's, like, taking ex-convicts in. But, yeah, I get your point. And I, I think that's what we're coming back to, though, Pete, is that it's almost kind of like saying, in a way, like, I could have the best missional community. If you don't go out and market the gospel, if you don't have it, it's kind of like I always picture when I when I see the modern uh, movement, the, the guys where they're almost disparaging of evangelism. I always think to myself, well, well, then why in the heck was Paul out there getting stoned to death? Why didn't he just start a bunch of missional communities that were the hotness? I mean, come on, he was doing miracles. I doubt your missional community today is doing that. This dude was doing all kinds of stuff, prophetic words going around, healings, um, raising the dead. If you can top that in your missional community, you've impressed me, right? But no, Paul's out there on the streets sharing the gospel, pitching his tent in the marketplace. He's out there, guys. And I know that the missional community is saying, yes, but every believer needs to do that. Fair play. But like I said before, we're kidding ourselves when we just say, oh, if you love Jesus enough, you'll evangelize. Your people probably love Jesus fine. But if evangelism is not a part of the DNA and you're not giving people an, an option or an opportunity that is part of leadership you need to get model it for them if discipleship is modeling and walking with people then you need to walk with people through evangelism it's not enough to just say oh if you love jesus enough you'll go to work and tell people about jesus maybe you've never discipled them in that so part of your leadership even if you're the head of a missional community needs to be walking through them and you show them that in the missional community so again going back to my so point, how do you do this well that's the point so going earlier where i said sunday becomes the vehicle of discipleship for evangelism so we sit around groups right and you serve breakfast. The idea is that you're sitting with non-believers, and whether it's discussion groups afterwards, the same group you sat in breakfast, you sit around a table with a bunch of non-believers, you eat breakfast. Uh, maybe you're sitting with all believers, maybe you're sitting, it's different every week, right? It's okay if you're sitting at a table with non-believers. Maybe that week, you know, you, you need to be with believers. Who, who cares, right? It'll, it'll mix up every week. Everybody sits in different spots except for you. But <laughs> No, I do. I'm, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. That's because people take my spot. You well, have dude, to move. That's my chair. But, but here's the deal is that, you know, you're, you're there and then you have the service and then afterwards 
you get an opportunity to evangelize. So even church is hands-on discipleship of how to talk to non-believers because there's non-believers. Now if we go to missional community, because I'm a strong believer in missional community, strong believer in house to house. One of the things that we found um, was, uh, I can remember when I was in Wales, we did public space, um, house to house, or a uh, temple course, and then house to house in the midweek. And at one point, I remember thinking, well, hold on now. We told everyone Sunday morning is for them, but the midweeks are for us, right? So that's where we do communion. That's where we do um, intense times of prayer. That's where we do, you know, um, on and on. So we might do laying ons of hands, maybe a miracle will happen, something like that. And that was, that was actually the place where more supernatural happens in people's living room. Um, and I, I've always been a strong believer that, you know, God doesn't parade it. It's not like the, the Rose Parade, you know. It's not like he's like, you know, everyone look here on stage. I found more supernatural stuff was done often in a corner um, where it was, just, it was just for that person. It was just God and that person. And God's speaking to that person. Um, but but the reality is we're like, well, what about our cogs? Communities at Grace, missional communities, where we call them cogs because we have the idea that a bunch of cogs turn the big wheel, right? So we're like, okay, so these cogs are like mini churches. And I think I mentioned before that all of our pastoral work is done in these groups. So if someone comes to me with a pastoral problem, I ask them, are you in a cog? And within reason, if they've got like small kids and they can't go, Fair play. But if it's just, oh, no, I don't, you know, I don't go. I'm like, look, you really need to plug into a cog because, you know, this would be handled in, in a missional community. These pastoral issues would be worked out, you know. Um, and so I, I found a pattern that most people came to me weren't in a cog. And so, um, so we really had a big drive to get people in cogs. But then we were like, okay, now people are in cogs and they've, they've learned a little bit about the Holy Spirit. They've learned what their gifts are. Um, they've learned this. But we don't want those to become backwaters. So we want cogs to become missional, truly missional. And so what we did is we started missional cogs, and that was every other week. We would say, because people were like, oh, but this is awesome. I've never been able to be real. You know, we'd be sitting around the cog, and some woman, you know, at, at first, like the first probably eight weeks, you know, it's all surfacey, total strangers in a room. And we would change them, by the way, every year. Cogs would change. They'd rotate. We'd mix everyone out of the group into a new group. Mm. And people resist that because they're like, well, these people are my best friends now. And we'd be like, well, that's cool. But like, if you only know like 10 people and our church is 100 people, um, wouldn't it be cool if by the end of like five years, you knew everyone in this church in that, in that same degree of intimacy? And then we're like, yeah, that, that would be kind of cool. Because you're going to keep getting together with these people that you're really connected with. But we said, what if COGS became a backwater um, and... You know, we, we actually started, our, our church culture started changing. Well, what if we did missional cogs? So what we did is each cog came up with what was a natural fit for them for evangelism. So, for example, my wife and I are big readers. So we're like, um, you know, we started the church on a reading group, right? That was just natural for us. You can put me in a reading group and I'm going to talk. I love those groups. I could, I could go to one every night of the week. And I could even go and just listen, you know, because I just love hearing people talk about what they read. And so it's one of the reasons we do a lot of book interviews is because, you know, I... I, <laughs> I just have this thought of the family guy and and something that Peter ended up writing. I, that you can't share? I, it would be really inappropriate. <laughs> I think I'd have to mark it explicit again. I just noticed that a look come across Pete's face, and I had to pause. So this is the danger of doing it face-to-face, -face, right? <laughs> and... Uh, you know, right now there's some guys going, I know what he's talking about. That's great. That's great. So, so anyways, you know, so we're talking about missional cogs. And one of the keys, guys, is that your mission that your cog does, it has to be natural, right? Like, I would never look at my cog and go, right, everybody, let's go do street preaching. Because they'd be like, what? Street preaching sucks. That's like the thing I don't want anyone ever to ask me to do. And so what you do is you get together with your group and you say, well, guys, what, what would we do? Like if we were just going to go do something for us, what would we do? And, and so one of the groups is like movies, man. We love movies. So we did film club. <coughs> Excuse me. And film club became just that. Every other week you'd throw a film, you invite all your buddies, and you critique the film at the end. 
Well, it could be something like uh, uh, throw a film out. Thor. Thor. So okay, so you talk about Thor, and you talk about the idea of this, you know, divine being coming from another, invading our humanity, and blah blah blah, and how he relates to us. You know, you're going to get to Jesus through that, right? Give me another movie. Star Wars. Oh please, I feel like the guys on uh, the Ben and Jerry's guys on City Slickers. Oh please, don't wait, but <laughs> vanilla and chocolate. Don't waste my time. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. What was a good movie? Billy Madison. <laughs> okay, a study on depravity. No, but you you would though seriously. Like you talk about Fight uh, Club. Fight Club, awesome, right? Awesome one. Um, Seven fighting fighting the devil. Oh, again, seriously, all these films are are golden. You can Noah? get to the gospel through all of them. No rock people. No, <laughs> but but honestly, again, yeah, Noah totally. You can even do it where it's not like in someone's living room after the movie's been out and released on DVD or or Netflix or whatever. Go to the cinema, and then go to a Starbucks or go somewhere afterwards, and then you have that talk afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so your cog becomes, you know, film club, and you put it up on Facebook, and you start getting a bunch. I'm telling you, if you did that enough, you're going to have to break it into a couple groups. And you yeah. do that. You, you, would, you would reach capacity very quickly. And so now you've got all these film clubs starting up. You and I have talked about the MMA club. Yep. Right? Um so you find what's natural for your people, right? Um, you do a DJ workshop. If you're in a play, like we've got people that come out of the hip hop recording industry in Long Beach right now. And I keep telling them, we really need to utilize that for the gospel. They were in gangs and stuff and doing the hip hop. So, but that would be hot. DJ, um, MC DJ workshop. That's, that's what we used to do. We've got guys in our church who do that. We got girls in our church. Why aren't we doing that? No, you know. You know how I feel about our music. We got the power. That's Pete's me. Whenever I picture Pete going on the freeway, I picture him listening to that song. <laughs> you know, I listen to more podcasts than I do anything else. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, so it's that kind of deal. You find what works for you. So I would do a book club, and and I can remember some of the cogs when we did this. Ironically. Mine went nowhere. No, we could never get anyone to come. Even though the church started with 30 people, grew to 50 on the back of a reading club, we could never, trying the same exact thing, we could never, ever attract another single person when we did the cogs again. How about a video game club? Well, that, that was the one. That was the one I was coming to. We had a Halo club. And because it was a bunch of college students. So we told each group, hey, you do what works for you. So they were the, um, the Halo group. And they cleaned up. We had so many baptisms. How did, so help me understand, how does this actually play? You, okay. Yeah. You, you, what, spend an hour playing video games and then you talk about Jesus? I mean, no. how does this work? No, the entire night is just fun. It's that. It's what you're doing. So the, there's no Jesus in it other than what you want to bring up, but it's not formalized. So, like, for the Hill and I, let's go to that cog. That was in a, in a guy named James. It was his cog. Um, he uh, and a bunch of college students said, well, we all got Xboxes, so we're going to bring them all over. They used the church uh, overhead projector, big screen, um, and they had the, the screen split into four. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Halo 2, and uh, they were on there playing that. And then, um, so on that night, it'd be tournaments, They'd organize term- tournaments, and it would be like last man standing. You know, they do like the death matches, all that kind of stuff. And then, so at the end of the night, there'd be like an award or something, or a prize, or someone get a gift certificate or whatever it was. There was some incentive, and so guys would be like, "This is awesome!" And this part of Swansea in Wales, this is going on every Tuesday night. And these college students would tell their buddies they would come. Now, what would happen is that would be every other week, and then they would be like, "So, how did you guys start, or how do you guys know each other?" Well, we go to church. Really? Well, we meet here next week. Or guys at the end would be like, well, I'll see you next week, man. You know, boom, boom, boom. And some would be like, what's going on next week? I thought it was every other. No, dude, we got a discussion group here next week. We talk about, like, God and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's, it's not it's not weird. Or anything. It's like, you know, same guys, man. We're pretty cool. I get it. So you're using that to get in with people, meaning you're developing rapport, a relationship. Absolutely. So you can invite them back. So a lot of people are going to say, eh, I'm going to wait and come every other week. And then some people are just going to be like, well, I'll just see what it's like. Yeah, but get this now. They're inviting their friends. So imagine there's a group of four or five friends. One gets saved. What's going to happen? 
Yeah. That friend who's hanging out with those other guys the rest of the week is going to be a contagion. And he is going to see his friend. And that's what happened. Once we started baptizing people, boom, 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 we kept baptizing people. So that's kind of what we're talking about. It is a chain reaction. It's a domino effect. So how come we're not doing this at Refuge? Well, no one's got an Xbox. With, with <laughs> Refuge, okay. There's a difference with with Refuge. What we're dealing with right now is we're dealing with. I, I hate to say it, it was almost easier to do in Welsh culture. We've we've started Cogs app. Cogs have only been going for two years now. We ran Cogs up to I think it was about this time. I think it was about two years. Um, but the problem is Americans have gone to church so long, there's almost more deprogramming. Picture in Wales now. Yeah, but see, the thing is, where our church is, there's no way you can say that about that community. I would say the majority of that community has never set foot in a church in their life. Yes, but we're remember, we're a, we're almost like a parajump church that's, that's parachuted in from the next county over. Sure. We're only yeah. now beginning in this year to really start seeing the transfer. Last year it started. It started a year ago Christmas. That was the first breakthrough that we really had, I think, besides Bixby Park. I'm talking about in the community we're in now. We started meeting the school where we really started seeing people come in. Now on a Sunday morning, you come. A year ago, we didn't quite look like a Long Beach church yet. Now we're a Long Beach church. So it's getting close to time now where we need to start doing that. But we've needed to kind of wait that little extra bit of time because the Christians we have... Um, almost have needed that deprogramming. Does that make sense? Oh, so you mean the Christians that came with? Yes. They yeah, needed a I little more training because before yeah. I turned them loose, um, if I started in the beginning, it would have been too much too soon for them. Right. And so you've got to take on board. You, you almost, with the Christians that you're dealing with, it, this is why you train a core team before you launch and you give it a good nine months to a year. You have to give them what we call ministry detox first. Um, you have to reprogram them and retrain them. Remember, Jesus took those guys for three years and completely tore them apart. They thought they understood Judaism. He was not going to send them out in the world as good little Jewish boys, right? He he literally ripped them apart and retrained them and rewired them and reprogrammed them before he sent them out. Hmm. And that was what was happening during those three years. So, yes, we're in a position now where we need to start going missional cogs. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, because... Some of that stuff. So, like, if you did a, a movie cog, would you watch the movie and then discuss yeah. it afterwards? Or would yeah. you just watch the movie and... Yeah, you watch a movie and it's an all-night affair, so there has to be food there. You start early about six at night. You you eat while you're, you know, it doesn't matter if it's pizza and munchies and beer or Coke or whatever. But you start there at, like, six o'clock. Everybody comes straight from work. It has to come straight from work because uh, you're feeding them, Right. So uh, people who have kids and stuff, they got a, they got a tag team. You know, it might be that every Wednesday night, that's where the guy goes, you know, and he tells his wife, hey, you know, we'll trade off every other week or whatever. But um, you really, you have to start early. And so it goes six to eight. And then people get tired on work nights, I'm telling oh, totally. you. Like nine, nine thirty, you can't hold people past that time. I'm tired just listening to it. I, I know, dude, because... People literally, they'll have all the, but they're tired, man. They've been up since like six in the morning. They worked a full day. Um, and you, you have to be kind of, so you let them watch a movie. Some people will fall asleep, but you let them watch a movie and then you give them like 30, 40 minutes. I would say go 40 minutes, break after 40 minutes. And then that last 20 minutes till nine o'clock, you're just literally, um, it's just small talking, getting them out the door, right? You're just literally winding down, having a few side conversations but literally, they get in there, it's six. Um, I could see so many Christians having a problem with that. Just like how we talked about last week, um, you know, Christians, we'd rather send our kids to Uganda than send them to Hollywood. I mean, so many Christians. <laughs> you got to comment on that. I know, way. I know. Oh, you have to tell the story. While, while we're talking about, um, uh, I can't remember what it was we said earlier. It sparked me. I'm like, oh, it was. I was going to say it's like youth. You know, it's a very similar thing to uh, youth ministry, but then I, I immediately thought um, about what you were telling me earlier, about what your job was in the summer camps when you were a Baptist. What was, I was going to tell you, you about were, the name. You had, you had the job of getting kids. My job, yeah. I would get What's the, the best story? I didn't know that about you. Well, <laughs> well see, I, when I was in college, 
as I've said before on the show, I, I've not been like close with my family. So when it was a chance for me to go away to college, I was like, that's it, I'm done. So I moved away at 17 and, and never went back. And um, in the summer, I would go work at summer camps because that gave me a place to live <laughs> for the summer. So by the end of uh, my, my years in college, I um, I wasn't a counselor anymore. So my job was to get them all riled up and send them back to mommy and daddy, which of course was the counselor, and let them deal with the aftermath. So I'd get up there in front of everyone and I'd start it off and, uh, and I, I'd train them. Like Sunday when everyone came in, I would train them. When I say... Hi, my name is Pete Mitchell. Everyone's supposed to go, ah, and get all excited. Yeah, you made him scream. I'd make him scream, yeah. So I, I train him on Sunday. I actually had it down. I knew how to get them trained because, you know, Sunday when they first get there, all the kids are like, you know, I don't know about this thing. And, you know, but I had it down, right? I had the system down. So Monday morning, I show up right, right before game time, guys. And so I'd go out there on the stage. Hi, my name is Pete Mitchell. And everyone goes, ah, and then I'd go, <laughs> My friends at college call me Sugar, but you can call me, and then I'd come up with a crazy name every day. So it'd be like, my friends at college call me Sugar, but you can call me All-Purpose Flower. <laughs> and, then, and then it started getting really bad as the summer wore on. And, uh, you know, we'd have like In-N-Out show up uh, every once in a while. <laughs> and so I'd go, hey, everybody, I'm Pete Mitchell. Everyone goes, ah, I go, my friends at college call me sugar, but you can call me quality you can taste. And I got in trouble for that one. Yeah, they like, shut that down. They're like, uh, Pete. I think you're starting to go a little bit too far. Yeah. Then I go, um, um, hey, everybody, my name is Pete. Ah, my friends at college call me sugar, but you can call me protein fortified with vitamin A and D. And, just, and then what was really good, and I didn't share this part with you. So, again, I'm getting them riled up before they go out for game time. So I go, okay, I need um, four volunteers from each team, or, you know, one volunteer from each team. Go ahead and, uh, you know, and I just start picking people. And the staff knew that when I'm doing that, I literally had no idea what I was going to do with those kids. <laughs> I'd wait until they got up there on the stage, and then I'd figure out what I'd have them do. And then one time I got really scared. Oh, I got a great one. Too. I, got a, I got two. Two, and then we'll go back to your topic. So I get them up there on stage, and, and um, we had like a bunch of gum, you know, like that that really gross gum, but it's kind of good at first that you get in like the Easter baskets, and yeah. then it, it's done. It's the pink it's gum. Like bazooka. Yeah. So um, I go, okay, here's what you guys are going to do. <laughs> You're going to take the gum, chew it as quick as you can so you can blow a bubble, and as soon as you blow a bubble, you then got to go outside, run around the whole building, and come in. And then I was like, dude, what if they trip and fall and choke on the gum? Because they still had to have the gum in their mouth, right? Because I'm... I'm coming up with this as they're yeah. coming up to the yeah. stage. And and no one choked, and, and that was pretty good. But here was the one that I, I um, <laughs> man, dude, I cannot believe I dodged the bullet on this one. So we had a gong night where we do a gong show with the kids. And um, we had this, this, it was a metal disc. It wasn't even a gong. It was a metal disc. And we had a rappelling rope that came down with a carabiner so we could put the gong up. <laughs> so when we didn't have the gong, we just had this rope hanging there. So me... I get this idea. Hey, um, I need a volunteer from the audience. And this one little kid, little boy, comes up. And, uh, and he comes up on the stage. And I take the, the uh, carabiner and I hook it to his belt. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to throw you out over the audience. I'm not kidding, man. <laughs> and the guy's in the back. No, no. His belt breaks. He's shooting <laughs> I'm like, oh crap, dude! I just killed a kid. I just threw a kid <laughs> off the stage. I don't know what he is. Fourth grade, fifth grade, who knows, man? And I'm, and you know, and then I'm going into panic mode because I'm like, the evidence is he's got a broken belt, right? Oh man! So how's this kid gonna explain to mom and dad when he goes home on Saturday? Big sugar threw me. Which, by the way, man, when 10-year-olds start calling you sugar, that's when it's like, uh, maybe, maybe yeah, I need to pull this back. It's a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to give your team 10,000 points because you were awesome. <laughs> oh, your knee's a little hurt? That's another 2,000 right there. <laughs> and you're just like greasing the system. So anyway, I know that was totally off the subject. But all, well, I asked for it. Dude. You got me down the path, dude, so I had to share it. You were cracking me up. You were absolutely cracking me up before we went on. I'm like, dude, you have to tell that story. Yeah. 
So, yeah. You know, the thing is, we need to always have a recorder with us, because we're busting each other up, like, all week, right? So it's like, you know. Like, today, we're at Islands, and um, and you're like, oh, I want the turkey burger. And I'm like, dude, the turkey here is nasty. And the waitress is like, no, it's really good. And no offense to you, but everyone who orders it loves it. I'm like, it's nasty. And you're like, well, I'm going to go with her and not you. And then I'm so like, you- I see what's going on here. Pete's kind of off base here. She thinks it's good. And then I go, no, turkey at Ruby's is good. Here, it's crap. And you're like, oh, it is good at Ruby's. And you're saying it's crap here. And then you literally change the order to chicken. Uh, I'll have chicken, ma'am. <laughs> that was funny. It was probably funnier to us than it is to anyone else. Yeah, probably. So so here's the deal. Uh, going back to evangelism, the key is, guys, find out what works for your context. Find out what works for your people. Like, if if you like if you came to me and you're you know imagine we're all in a group together and some chick stands up and goes all right everybody I'm the leader here and uh, we're gonna do some outreach and we're gonna do the scrapbooking outreach and you know like me and Pete are not gonna scrapbook you know what I mean I don't care how cool Michaels is and how many scrapbooking uh, supplies they have. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been to Michael. My wife is actually really good at scrapbooking. Dude, I'm telling you. I walked down, and I saw... It was like a really... Andrew is not into it, but, like, I walked down... Because I know, like, Charlie's wife is into it, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry for that. I walked down the aisle, and I'm like, holy crap, dude. This is like... This is like a religion, man. Like, you spend tons of money on this crafty crap, right? So, I'm walking down there going... Oh man, this is huge! It's, like, it's got such a huge following, right? We should do a scrapbooking podcast, Pete. <laughs> no, <laughs> you had me at hello. I'm just no, saying. You didn't. But but here's the thing. So you know, imagine your feeling is like, no, you know, scrapbooking. I'm never going to get excited about that. That's what a lot of pastors do to their people, right? They go, right, church, this is what I want to do, and because I want to do this outreach, I want you all to get excited about it. And in Church Zero, cha-ching, what I call gift-driven ministry is literally that uh, you find out what gifts got. If I got like five artists in a group of eight, guess what we're going to do? Three of us are going to be supporting acts of those five artists. Mm. We're going to go do something in the art community. You find out what the gifts and passions are of the people in front of you in that cog. You get excited about it together. You say, look, guys, no pressure. Let's just do what we love to do. And let's open our arms wide open for other people to join us. That's how a missional community stays missional. Mm. And that's how you grow your church through missional community. That is one very simple way to do evangelism on a very low key and to do it on almost a zero budget. Right, so that's just one of many ways. I like it, man. Just don't don't uh, tie a kid to a gong rope and with a carabiner. Don't throw fourth grade unless push like, them off the stage. Yeah, don't throw fourth graders through the air. You know, into people. Although all I can say is that belt didn't even hold for a second. <laughs> it was like as soon as I pushed him, he was gone. Dude, that must have been a Kmart belt. It was. It was one of those yeah, braided ones. Kmart. You know those braided yeah. ones. Those you know gnarly. <laughs> it was. It was not good. <laughs> It, it obviously was at the end of its tether. I never did that again. <laughs> never threw that. a kid. I never threw a kid off the stage. That's awesome, dude. I freaked out. Hey, your kid today, speaking of that, you know, when I came into your house today, he he <laughs> saw me and he got really excited. Well, first, like, I came up to him. He has this cool little motorized Mater truck, which is super cool, right? And I was talking to him and he had his little uh, Toy Story dinosaur and he was eating bananas. So I made his little dinosaur eat some bananas, you know, or I made him laugh. And then he looks at me and goes, Jesus steak. He's like pointing at me like, and I'm like, you know, what's it in my mind? I'm thinking Jesus steak. What does he mean? So I look at your wife and go, that's right. This is one fine specimen of ASDA prime cut holiness. Y'all, you know, and, and, but seriously, like I went to the bathroom, I came out, he was still on about Jesus steak. So I don't, I don't know what that was all about. I've got him trained. Yeah. That was awesome. He knows, he knows a good Jesus steak when he sees one. Dude, that's, that's my name. We're actually cannibals here. I never told you that. <laughs> hey, man, early Christianity had a reputation for being uh, a cannibalistic cult. Mm. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. I understand. Absolutely. So, hey, guys, this has been the Church Planner Podcast. Do we got any parting words? Any bits of wisdom? Hey, this is uh, coming out on Monday, as it always does. And uh, right now, I am actually getting ready to fly to... Um, Exponential. On a carabiner by your belt loop? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if a plane goes down over the Gulf of Mexico, tell them keep sending the helicopters. I am a great swimmer. I will swim for hours. 
Don't stop with the helicopters. <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to be at Exponential this week. And Wednesday, what is that, at 3.30, right after your 2.30 session, we're going to do uh, free coffee? Yeah, man. At uh, Is it at the booth? Look for the Church Planner podcast, yeah. Church Planner yeah, magazine Yeah, we're going to have free coffee there, yeah. It's going to be Folgers. We're going to get some instant. It'll You're be great. You're making a Starbucks run. No. Starbucks Travelers. Pete's making a run, y'all. I'll bring Mr. Coffee with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's my final party spot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, Starbucks via and a kettle. And you can get all of this live. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. So we're going to, we should do a live podcast at 2.30. That's what we ought to do. A Q&A live podcast right then. I like, no one's going to be there. It's going to be like crickets. I just thought that (laughs) It's going to be crickets. No, we need to pay. They're going to be like, hey man. No one actually listens to your show. Hey man, come come in. I'll give you some free coffee if you ask me some questions. We usually make friends with all the other people who run booths, and we'll be like, hey, can you come over for our live podcast? We'll let you plug your business and your Absolutely. ministry. Absolutely. Yeah, this is cool, man. I don't know if Exponential is going to know it hit them, but we're going to be there anyways. I'll get kicked out for sure. You are definitely going to get kicked they out. They asked you to speak. That was their mistake. They asked me to speak, but Pete has, Pete has all I'm saying is Pete's got some surprises. <laughs> <laughs> For for the conference at Exponential. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get through what I have to say by the time Pete's done. But it's going to be fun. We'll see you there. Uh, anyways, thanks for joining us. We got uh, uh, Frank Viola coming up on a special edition of the podcast. Just interviewed him today. And uh, we're going to keep some cool stuff and cool content coming at you. We'll have more interviews at the conference. So uh, there's some guys we want to kind of uh, tackle and sit on and make them talk to us. And uh, that's about it. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you at Exponential. This has been the Church Planner Podcast, reminding you if you want to reach ones nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going, play a bunch of Halo, and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music